as many of you are aware, that I, along with seven others from Kildare, we went to the March for Life in D.C. a week and a half ago. It was a, a rather, it was it was a wonderful trip being able to walk with with uh, hundreds of uh, thousands of others as they were, um, you know, walking for the life of the unborn. It was quite an experience. We took a bus with the diocese. There were two buses with the diocese, and then there were four other buses from the Catholic high schools in our diocese. There were a number also of buses from the Fargo diocese as well. I don't know how, exactly how many buses were from North Dakota, but we had more buses from North Dakota at the March for Life than some of the states that are much closer than North Dakota. It was, it was a fabulous experience being able to, to witness uh, you know, these, all these people marching for the life of the unborn, those that don't have a voice. The day before the march, on the Thursday, the, the group from Kilder, myself included, we went to the Holocaust Museum. The Holocaust Museum, I don't know if you've been there at all. It's, if you ever are in D.C., it's, it's worth going to. It, it speaks, of course, about the, the Holocaust put on by, by Germany, the, the Third Reich, the Nazis at the time. One of the, this is my second time in the Holocaust Museum. The, the thing that I noticed this time is how much the Polish people were affected by it. That as, as um, Hitler came in from the West, as Germany came in from the West, from the East, Russia came on in, communist Russia at the time, and Poland was split half and half. You had people on both sides, you know, you had cousins on one side or family members on the other, and and one was stuck. Remember that that Poland is very uh, it's a very Catholic country. What ended up happening is particularly uh, Hitler, he immediately attacked the leaders of Poland. The government leaders really didn't put up a stand at all. The only ones that put up a stand were were the clergy, and it being very Catholic. The, the first ones to be put into prison were, were the Catholic priests and bishops and anyone else who was, of course, Jewish or was hiding the Jews or was trying to prevent the, the, the Third Reich from taking control. Poland was being occupied by two other countries. Can you imagine the terror that would be going through their minds? That gives us a glimpse of what's taking place in our gospel reading. So our gospel reading, it's 40 days after Christmas. It's when Joseph and Mary present Jesus to God at the temple there. But the, the people of Israel, they have been occupied by foreign nations for, for about 500 years at this point. First, they were occupied by the Babylonians or excuse me, the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Greeks, who really persecuted the Jews, put, put many of them to death, killed them by, by the sword, by um, crucifixion, by, by hanging, like just terrible, terrible things. At the time of Jesus, it's the Roman Empire which is occupying Israel. They're a more peaceful country. They're more peaceful than the previous ones. They're not persecuting the, the Jews as much as the previous countries had. But nevertheless, if there was somebody that they didn't like or somebody who was trying to reclaim Israel, you know, as their own country and, and making themselves their own king, that person would be put to death, which oftentimes included the, the high priests. 
as well as some of the other Levitical priests, would be put to death for this reason. Simeon is, is one of the, the prophets there, and he's, he's longing for the Messiah, meaning the anointed one, the one who's going to come and reestablish their own kingdom, who's going to overthrow the foreign powers. He's waiting for this, this man to arrive. Through his deep prayer, God revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Christ, until he had seen the Messiah. So he waits day after day going into the temple area waiting for this child who's going to show up and who's going to, to reestablish their country, reestablish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven as, as all of Israel believed. And then one day, Joseph and Mary come on in with the child Jesus, just 40 days old. And, and he then takes this little baby. God tells him that this is the child. This is the one. And he takes this baby and he prays the, for the first time the prayer that the church has been praying ever since then, every night. It's, it's this. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. A light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. We heard that in our gospel reading just a moment ago. The light of the world has come. On Christmas Day, the Mass during the day, which is usually the Mass, well, since I've been here, that I celebrate it. Uh, excuse me. Um, we had the Christmas Eve Mass here. So you guys don't ever hear this Gospel. It's usually in Kildare that, I, that I'll read the Gospel. It's John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it speaks about Jesus being the light of the world. He's the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why does John write this, you know, 90 years later after Jesus was born? It's, it's because John has really experienced this light, Jesus Christ, whom Simeon had prophesied. A light to reveal you to the nations. Traditionally, this Mass on February 2nd is called Candle Mass because it's, it's traditionally the, the Sunday that the church will, will bless her candles the, the rite at the beginning of Mass, this might be the first time you have ever experienced it, I don't know. Um, but February 2nd only falls on Sunday every, you know, however many years. But we hold the candles because those candles, that light which comes from them, symbolizes Christ. And the darkness can't overcome the light. The darkness has no power where there's light. Jesus is the light that shines into the world in a very real way, our sin, the sin of the world, brings darkness to our hearts. Can you imagine living as a Jew in Nazi Germany in, in 1938? It had been terrible. The darkness, why was there darkness there? It's because a Catholic man by the name of, by the name of Eldolf Hitler decided to enter into the darkness, reject God, and bring darkness to his whole country. And many people were affected by that. 
Christ is the light that shines in the darkness. He's the one that overcomes the power of, of the enemy, Satan, who whispers into our ears and convinces us that we don't need Christ, the light of the world. The light shining in the darkness has not come to the world for no reason at all, but to save us, to bring us peace. I'm going to mention a, a couple of sins, um, or a couple of, I shouldn't say sins, but ways that the devil comes at us, and sometimes we then accept that, his voice, and we commit these sins. I don't know if you know, the, dis, the, the devil can put thoughts in your mind. I don't know if you guys know this. The devil can put thoughts into our mind. He does not force us to do something, but he puts thoughts into our mind, and he tries to get us to accept those thoughts as our own thoughts, not coming from him, but as our own thoughts, and then we say yes to those thoughts. And then in saying yes to those thoughts, darkness comes into our life, sin comes into our life, and now we live our lives not fully in the light, not fully in Jesus' presence. We start doing things like talking bad about our neighbors. We start doing things talking bad about our own family members, our own flesh and blood. Because we think they hurt us. And maybe they have hurt us. But these thoughts are always exaggerated by the devil. And he tries to convince us to not reach out to that family member. Because if we reach out to that family member, we might actually start talking again. So he puts these feelings. He doesn't just whisper in our ears. He also puts feelings in our heart to prevent us from going back and talking to that person to prevent us from encountering the freedom of, of living as a Christian. Here's another thing that he does. He distracts us. He distracts us. So, so all of you, I, I've, I've known um, many of you for, for a good length of time. I'm still getting to know a few of you. But... But I know this, I would guess, about all of us. We all want to be in heaven. And we all want to do what Jesus asks of us. So we wake up in the morning. The first thing on our mind may or may not be about Jesus. The first thing will happen, we wake up. And this voice of the evil one starts whispering into our ear. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. Pretty soon it's noon o'clock and we haven't even said our morning prayers. And we've been doing all kinds of good stuff that needs to be done. But all the, types, all the kinds of good stuff that needs to be done, it's all passing away. But what doesn't pass away is heaven. Maybe we don't even realize it by noon o'clock. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, the hour that Jesus died, and we're still being distracted. At that point, it's very likely our guardian angel and the voice of the Lord has whispered into our ear, given us a thought, you should pray. You should pray. And then immediately, 
Another thought comes up into our mind. You can't stop and pray for five minutes. You got to go check the chicken in the oven or you got to, you know, whatever it is. All these distractions, distractions, distractions. Maybe it's, it's, it's media. Maybe it's turning on the television. We turn the television on to distract us from, from keeping our, our minds towards things of God. I've become, I, I've become very convinced of this in this last week, that the devil is talking to our ears more than we realize. I've experienced that in myself. He can't control us unless we give ourselves to him. But lest you're thinking that I'm giving the devil or showing the devil's power, I want you to also know Jesus' good angels are whispering in our ears. And they want us to choose Jesus. They want us to encounter Jesus because in encountering Jesus, we encounter his life, we encounter his love, his mercy, his goodness. It's quite beautiful when we experience the the mercy of God. The devil will try to get us to commit certain sins that enslave us, that prevent us from receiving the sacraments. He'll try to convince us especially to never go to confession because he knows that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the day that the light overcame the darkness, he gave us, Jesus gave us the sacrament of confession. He gave to man the power to forgive sins. He said to the apostles, those first priests, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. He knew we would need the light. And he knew that through confessing our sins, by vocalizing them, that the light then shines in the darkness. The devil hates the sacrament of confession. Exorcists say that the sacrament of confession is the best exorcism because it's somebody willingly bringing their heart before Jesus and saying, this is what I've done wrong. These are the sins I've committed. God is good all the time. God desires to give us grace. So my challenge for you folks is this. To not be bare minimum Catholics, but to be all-in Catholics. Tonight, many of us are going to be watching Super Bowl. Let me tell you this. The 49ers and the Chiefs are not at the Super Bowl by doing the bare minimum. They didn't get to the Super Bowl just doing what barely what it takes. They fought. They've worked hard. They've exercised. They've done all kinds of things. They've changed their diets, everything, because they want to win the Super Bowl. And then after, tomorrow morning, guess where the Super Bowl is? It's done. It's over. The winning team wins a trophy that's going to fall apart in however many years. Can you imagine if we put as much energy into being Catholic as the 49ers did and the Chiefs did in playing the Super Bowl? 
and getting to the Super Bowl. Can you imagine that? These distractions that come to us, these things that, that come to us and try to keep us out of heaven, we don't give them weight. But we put first things first, namely our prayer. But of course, the Mass. Jesus commands us to attend Mass every Sunday. He says, do this in memory of me. The church commands us to, not to control us, but because the church, because Jesus wants us to encounter him. He wants us to encounter the light of the world that shines in the darkness, that gives us the grace for the weak. That's what he wants. I want to close with this, and I... This has been on my heart. On the way back from the March for Life, we stopped in Pittsburgh at, uh, it's called St. Anthony of Padua Chapel. It's, it's a, a church building. It's not a parish, but it, it's a, a church building that contains the most relics of the saints in the whole world, with one exception, the Vatican. There are saints there from all the 12 apostles, uh, not Judas, of course, but Paul, uh, who replaced them. There's also uh, relics there of, we were told, I didn't get up close because there were so many. They said a little piece of the veil of Mary. There was a crown, uh, one of the thorns from the crown of thorns uh, was there, a relic of St. Anthony of Padua. Uh, I, was, I went to that one because my middle name is Anthony. I'm named after him. There were just all kinds of relics of martyrs, people who have given their life to Jesus. On the way back, some of the kids were asking questions. I had about two and a half or two to three hours of questions that the kids were asking me, and I was just giving them. And one of them asked about relics because the, the presenter there at St. Anthony's Chapel said that in every church there are relics. Every church is to have relics. So one of the kids immediately asked me on the way back, uh, what relics do we have in, at St. Joseph's in Kilder or St. Paul's in here? When I came to Kilder, I, I didn't find any relics anywhere. Halliday, I found no relics. I came here. I did find the, the altar stone, which you guys are aware of, uh, in the sacristy drawer. I didn't know who was in I opened it up. It's of St. Benedict the Abbot. And then Bishop at the Catholic Congress, you know, uh, re, re-consecrated the altar stone and, and placed it back in. But I, I, in Kilder, I asked around, well, where are the relics? Does anybody know? And what ended up happening is one of the past pastors didn't really care about the relics or maybe didn't know what they were, and he gave them to a parishioner. This parishioner was taking really good care of them. I asked the parishioner if, if um, they would be willing to give the relics back, and, and uh, they so graciously did, which I was very pleased with. But we didn't know who these saints were. So I, I looked and I did the research. The, the name was written in Latin, or two names, it's two saints, were written in Latin there below the altar stone. So I did some, some studies. I knew they had to be early church martyrs because it, it had an M there for martyr. But I, I had never heard of these saints, so I searched and I searched and I found out that one of them is Saint Urbana. She was from Thessalonica, uh, a martyr. We don't know much more about her. And then the other one is, is Saint Blonda. I had never even heard of this saint. She was married to a man by the name of Felix. Both of them were were killed in Rome, their heads were cut off, and their heads were put up on stakes for anybody going in and out of Rome. But after, 
after coming back, after hearing of seeing, you know, all these relics of martyrs, people who have given their life, after seeing these two saints there in Kildare, uh, seeing their relics. And then the third thing that took place was I was watching this video by an exorcist in our country. And he said very plainly, people oftentimes are affected by demons which prevent them from receiving the sacraments. First of all, coming to Mass. But he also said confession. The devil tries to put so much fear into people's lives of the sacrament of confession that many don't go. Many don't bring their sins to the light. And I prayed and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? And it was clear to me that as the priests of these three parishes, I needed to start praying prayers which bind these demons to make them mute and dumb so they stop speaking into the ears of people here in Twin Buttes and Halliday and in Kildare. People aren't Mass right now. People are not at Mass right now because they have said yes to these voices and they don't even know that this is not the voice of Jesus. There are many Catholics, as you guys all know, here in the Twin Buttes area, that are doing something different. They're distracted. Our own family members. So my prayer here forward is that these demons may shut up and that we may be set free. I would encourage all of you to start praying that as well. But maybe pray for awareness. Pray for awareness in your, own, in your own life that you may become more aware of, of what's of Jesus and what's not. That's only done through prayer. It's only done through saying no to the distractions. And most of all, through the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of the Mass. It's how we receive the light of the world. Let's pray for these graces at this Mass that we may bring our hearts fully to Jesus and that many that we know may also bring their hearts to Jesus.